Well, if you've been listening to the series, we've been going on on this thought of give me Jesus. I think we've been kind of getting that that concept, right? That the fullness of being a, a Christian, of being a disciple of Christ is having a heart that's fixed upon him to the point where the cry of our life and of the next life is give me Jesus. You know, that that's really the focus of why we're here. You know, the Pastor Bailey used to always say from his visions of heaven that heaven talks about the earth and they refer to their time or our time on the earth as our probationary period, right? In our probationary period, it's our practice for being in heaven and the whole focus of heaven is Jesus. And so we want our whole focus on earth to be give me Jesus because that's what it's going to be like in heaven. Right? And we're on our probationary period, so we want to get it right. Um, we considered uh, last week that to know someone, right? to truly know someone, you kind of have to know how they think, right? how their mind operates and the things they like and don't like and so forth, and, um, and, and also to learn to think like them, that we want to think like someone in order to really know them. But there's another consideration that to truly know Jesus uh, or to, tr- let's say, to truly know someone, you have to have the similar experiences to them, right? And so you kind of have to walk in a way or at least ex- have some experiences that would be similar so that you can relate to them and understand them and know them. And so we have to not just learn to think like him, but ultimately we have to walk like him, to walk in the same way. All right? That makes sense, right? To, because you can't really know someone unless you know what it was like to live as they lived and to experience what they experienced. So you have to have similar experiences. And I say similar because no one can really know what Christ experienced, right? Because, you know, he took all the sins of mankind upon him. He was the lowest of the low. And we're going to look at how he was low and then rose up. But I think it's clear in scripture that even though he he was the ultimate, we're called to be like him, to walk in the same pathway. He was the trailblazer and we're to follow in his footsteps. Um, and so our, our theme for this week actually stems directly from our theme last week of the mind, um, because Paul shows us what Christ's mind was like, what was upon his mind, and what his thoughts were, and what his focus, the focus of his mind was in Philippians. And so, so Paul shows us the steps that Christ took as he came to earth to become our Savior. He shares uh, this with the Philippian church so that they would be of the same mind. And in reality, he's sharing it with us so that we would have that same mind. And so let's read together. It's, it's a, a chunk of a passage here in Philippians 2 verse 5, but I think, I think we'll get gives us the whole picture. So Philippians 2 verse 5 says, and Paul here is saying, let this mind be in you. Let this mind be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, 
that wasn't wrong and it's not wrong to call him the king of kings and the creator of the universe and God. Yet he made himself, here's where it starts going down, where he goes down. He made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, made in the likeness of men, being found in the fashion as a man. He humbled himself. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore? God has highly exalted him and given him the name above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of things in heaven and earth and under the earth, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That was the pathway of Christ. That was the mind of Christ to walk in that pathway. He was determined to go in that way, in that direction. And yet, we, we see the context in what Paul's saying, let this mind be in us to walk in that same way as Christ. And so to truly know Christ, we have to experience that similar pathway in our own life. You know, of course, it'll apply in everyone's life in a little bit different way because we're all unique. We all have different paths God's taking us on, but yet we can see how God wants to work in our lives. And, and so in this passage, we see seven aspects or seven steps that Christ takes. He starts in heaven where he was truly the greatest, where he was God. He is God, but he was there as God. He came from the Father, a part of the Trinity, God, three in one, the creator of the universe. He reigned in heaven and then it says he made himself. That was his choice for us. He made himself of no reputation. The phrase in the Greek there is, I had to look this up for how to pronounce it. It's kinu or kino. Well, I already forgot how to pronounce it. Kinu, kino, I'm probably butchering it. But the, the concept is to empty, to empty. And so Jesus, he made himself, he he made that determination to empty himself and pour out of the glories of heaven. And he poured himself out down to earth for us. And so that pathway, that process, it's referred to as the kenosis. Keno. I think it's keno because it's the kenosis of Christ. And we have a slide here that lists kind of the seven steps of the kenosis of Christ and we'll, we'll kind of look at these individually, but he let go of his place with God in heaven, made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant in the likeness of men, humbled himself, was obedient to death, even to the cross. And because of that, you know, right, so we see these seven, seven steps, he went down to the lowest place possible from where he was, but then there's seven steps. We'll look at that later on where he goes up and it's glorious because every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. But yet this is a process where Paul says, let this mind and really this way be found in our lives that we walk in the same way as Christ. Like a sacrifice, we lay ourselves down upon the altar as living sacrifices, which is our, as Paul says, our reasonable service. We lay down our way of doing things, our thinking, our desires, and so forth on the altar. 
But as we're brought low, we can know that God will bring us up in glory and his likeness as the bride of Christ. You know, the privilege of the bride is she takes the name of the bridegroom. And that's what God desires, that we become like him as we follow in this process. And then we take his name, his place of glory with him. No one's going to be as glorious as him because he went the lowest and then ascended the highest, but he's calling us to be that glorious bride with him. And so humility starts in the mind. As it says in verse 5, let this mind be in you and me. And it's good to remind ourselves and you know that it's important how we think of ourselves. How do we view ourselves? Um, it's good to remember we're, we're not much without Christ. We think we are sometimes, but really, we're not. Romans 12 and verse 3, Paul says, For I say through the grace given, given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. You know, having a proper view of ourself puts us in that position of relying upon God. Of course, we remember that that famous story of D.L. Moody. Walking here, here's the, the glorious pastor, you know, you know, leading many people to Christ, preaching in Chicago and stuff, and he's walking with people and and he points to a, a drunk person who's fallen, passed out in the gutter, and he says, There's D.L. Moody. That would be me, except for God except for his grace, that's where I would be. And that's good to remember. We're only here because of God. You know, sometimes we can say, well, look, I've been in church for X number of years and that sinner out there keeps refusing God. But you know that we could be that person. We could have been born into any country, into any family, into some foreign religion and been trapped there. But God's grace brought us where we are. But that's why we need a, a transformed and a renewed mind as we considered last, last week. We come to Christ full of strongholds, full of thoughts that are not of Christ, and we need a changed mind. Right? Even after we come to Christ, there's, there's things that remain that have to be renewed and transformed because our, you know, our, our flesh within us is at enmity with Christ. It's against him. It's opposed to him. You know, even in my mind, I still find things, ways of thinking that are, you know, when God's asking me to go one way, there's something, there's some thought in my mind that says, no, let's go this way. And I say, oh God, help me. Change my thought. Change the way I I view things. Still crying out to God for a full renewal. But that, that's the pathway to having the mind of Christ. And so, you know, we continue on, or we can look at that, um, his positions here in verse 6, Philippians 2, verse 6. He was, in, he was being in the form of God, thought it not robbery, to be equal with God. And it gives the, the thought that the position is not as important as the obedience. The position 
is not as important as the obedience. The original text gives the idea that Christ didn't hold on to it. He didn't have a death grip on what was good in his sight. He let go of his glory and his position to fulfill the plan of his Father. And it's that kind of mentality in life that will keep us because we can be so easily deceived by what we think is good and what we think God should be doing in the earth. And when God shows us a different way or in our lives and God says, no, I want to do this, we hold on to that say, Lord, this is what I want. But Jesus let that go. He let go of his own way and his own will. And he, he said, Lord, or he said, Father, I want to walk in your way. And so that, that kind of mentality will keep us in life. And, you know, Satan can come and offer you all sorts of shiny things as he did to Jesus. He came to Jesus and said, I can offer you all the kingdoms of this world. But that had no power over Jesus because he didn't hold on to those kind of things. He was only holding on to obeying the will of his father. That's what mattered. It's the truest fulfillment of what David said in Psalm 40 and verse 8. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law, your, your way, your desire is written into my heart. You know, that was fulfilled in Jesus because his greatest delight was to do the will of the Father. And so he thought it was okay to let go of what he had to follow his Father. And then verse 2 or, or uh, the second one in, in verse 7, it says, He made himself of no reputation, took on him the form of a servant. Jesus was not concerned about reputation. He didn't really care what others thought about him. You know, only what his father thought of him. That's a tough one for us. We are hardwired as humans to care what people think about us, right? I mean, we might say... Uh, I don't care. Sticks and stones, right? But, right? but in our heart of hearts, we do care. We want people to think well of us and, and so forth. And I mean, that's in one sense, that's not bad. I mean, we don't want to walk in a way that we're just constantly offending people and making people, you know, I don't care what anyone thinks of me. That, it's not that. But yet there's, there's the, the thought that having too much of a care what people think is a snare. Proverbs 29 and 25, the fear of man or the concern of, of man and what people think is a snare, but the one who puts their trust in the Lord is going to be safe. The one who looks to, to the Lord will be safe. And so the fear of man, the concern of what others think is, you know, kind of a, a, a blind spot for us or will Bring us into a trap and, and bind us. Keep us trapped from moving on. But setting our heart on God and what he thinks of us, his view of our lives, that will keep us. It will set us free, actually. You know, if we, if we go on in our walk with the Lord, we can expect times where maybe we go through experiences where our reputation is affected in, in certain ways. And God is the master at designing those situations. We'd never think anyone would think bad of us or say something bad of us because we've been so hard to have a good testimony, right? But yet God orchestrates it, that our reputation can be touched. But you know, that's the, that was the way of Jesus. 
he made himself of no reputation. Now, we don't want to go around making ourselves of no reputation. We leave that to God. He's, but he'll, he'll do it, and we just have to say, God, help me to walk through that. You know, so we can expect that to a degree. We might be criticized, looked down upon or something. You know, criticism is a terrible thing. Criticism is really tearing down the reputation of others. We might be the recipient of that. Maybe you have been the recipient of that at times. Fortunately, that goes on in the church, right? Even as among Christians, you know, and so we might have to experience it. But one thing we want to make sure of, we want to make sure we're not the ones giving it. That just makes us part of the problem. We don't want to be an instrument of tearing down others. We want to be an instrument that builds up the kingdom of God. And to do that, we build up the lives of others. That's being part of the solution in God's kingdom. But we might have to walk as Christ and experience some of that. The third thing, it says he made himself of no reputation and he took upon himself the form of a servant. He became a servant for us. In the original language, it actually means a bond slave. Right? And slavery gives a little bit different of a connotation, right? We can think of slavery in the, the ancient world of the Roman Empire. That was not an easy life. Your life was not your own. You couldn't do, you know, you had no will. And that's the phrase and the, and the language that Paul's using. He made himself a servant, a bond slave to his father. And Jesus was constantly telling his disciples. And he said this in, in Mark 10, 44, whoever would be great, the chiefest among you, right? And the context is, is in the kingdom of God. Who would ever be great? He should be the servant of all. And so there's that thought to follow the, the pathway of Christ to being the greatest is going down to be the least, the servant of all. You know, that's where the real greatness in the kingdom of God is found in being the servant, in being, in that sense, the, the one who's lower. I mean, that's, that's the real connotation. The servant is always the lower one. He's content to let others be higher. You know, the deeper we get into that life of a servant, the greater we rise in the kingdom of God because we have been, will have become like the one we serve. He became the greatest servant. He still serves. He still seeks to serve his people, his creation, interceding for us, working on our behalf. You know, the Bible says we're going to be slaves to one thing or another. Right? Jesus said in, in John 8, 34, this is from the ISV, he said, truly, I tell all of you with certainty that anyone who commits sin is the servant of sin. We're all going to be serving one thing or another, depending on what we choose and what we follow. There's not a lot of middle ground in it. So we either serve the prince of this world or we serve Christ. And we serve Christ by following his example and being a servant to other people. And it's, it's in the sense of our will, what we choose to follow, what we choose to, to do and to react and 
receive in our life. And, and so Paul was saying he was choosing, he would, or he, would, he had that freedom to choose his pathway, but he chose to live as if he was a slave to Jesus Christ, to being led by Christ as a master directing his servant. And that was the way Jesus went. But it also says, the fourth thing, it says he was made in the likeness of a man. He was a servant, but he was also a man. He wasn't just the God in heaven anymore that was so far above principalities and powers and everything. He became a man, being found in the fashion of a man, as it says in verse 7. And so here's an aspect to Christ where he became a man and he experienced everything that we experience. Everything we go through, he went through and more so that he would have that experience of being the man, the son of man, as was one of his favorite ways to refer to himself. And he can comfort us because of what he went through. We read, you know, I think one of the most comforting in, in a sense is Isaiah 53. In that chapter, we see how Christ was a man and he suffered, but yet he did it for us. He bore our sin. He bore our sorrow upon the cross. He bore our griefs. And because he experienced them all, he can identify with us and can know exactly what we're feeling and we can come to him and we can roll all of those difficulties onto him because he bore them on the cross for us. Hebrews 4 and verse 15, it says, For we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. We don't serve a high priest that doesn't understand what we're going through. He understands it all. Because he was in every point tempted as we are, yet without sin. He was tempted in every point, in every aspect of life. Sometimes we think, Lord, thank you. I'm not going through it like brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. You know, we all have our areas where God works in us. It says Jesus was tempted in every single area, in all points. And he was without sin. He triumphed. And because of that, we can look to him and he can help us to triumph as well. And then we can have compassion on others because he's led us. The fifth thing is in verse 8, it says, And being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself. He humbled himself. Humility is basically holy dependence. Just, you know, no longer doing it on your own, through your own strength and your, your own will, but totally relying upon Christ. Sometimes we think of humility as just kind of like, well, I'm just going to accept the situation I'm going to get through it. But Christ was triumphant because he was the most dependent upon his father. He depended upon his father for everything. John 5 and verse 19, the son can do nothing of himself. The son can do nothing of himself. Sometimes we see how Christ walked and, you know, the things he did and the, the wisdom he displayed. And here he is saying, I can't do anything, at least not on my own. 
It was his relationship, his connection with his Father in heaven that enabled him to do all things. He was so humble and dependent upon his Father. And he says to us, walk in that same way. That that's the way to greatness. That's the way to be, being lifted up. The Son of Man could do nothing but what he sees his Father do. The Son could do nothing apart from his Father. The way he led him and spoke to him and and so forth. So he humbled himself. And, you know, there's an aspect to the Christian life where, like Paul said in Colossians 3, he said, put on humility of mind. Put it on. And that's the choice we have in life, the choice we have in situations that we face as we walk with him. What am I going to do here? I have the choice of I can go my own way and I can try it again and again. And I'll I couldn't do it before, but let's try it again. Maybe I'll get it right this time. Or we can put off that mindset and put on the humility of Christ by saying, Lord, I'm going to wait upon you. Lord, I'm going to do it your way. Lord, I need you. I'm dependent upon you, and I can't do it without you. That's what Jesus did every day. He put on that humility of mind. And we have to have that same dependence upon Christ to walk in that pathway. The sixth thing, it says he became obedient. He was obedient even unto death. You know, God might call us, maybe, you know, it is the last days, you never know. Who knows who God will call to be a martyr and actually give up our lives for Christ. But, you know, I don't really think that should take our too much of our thoughts because that's in one sense, not the, the ultimately the hardest aspect of following Christ. Really, what he's calling us to do is, is die to ourselves, right? To die each day, as Paul says, to die daily as we follow him. You know, it's kind of uh, giving up our lives can be you know, being martyrs for Christ is, is a little hard for us to, fall, to comprehend, but there's many around the world. You know, you think about some of these nations like Pakistan or, you know, other places in, in the Middle East or Asia or, you know, where to make a decision for Christ. They're literally laying down their lives because they could be stoned or their family could decide, yep, you're, you're forsaking everything. Well, you don't deserve to live. And that happens many times. But but, you know, there's even in our regular lives, there's an obedience unto death. There's an obedience where we die to ourselves and we live for Christ. And, you know, that process of becoming broken bread for others or wine poured out upon the altar, becoming an offering. And really, that's one of the ultimate goals of the Christian life, of entering into that death to ourselves so that we can live for Christ and then what is the way that life comes from that death? It says, he was obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. It's the cross. And of course, the cross was the worst death for offenders in the Roman Empire. According to the law, one who was hung on a tree was a, considered accursed of God. Deuteronomy 21. And so it was the lowest of the low. No one has gone lower than Christ. 
But yet it didn't stop there because he went to that lowest place, even down into hell. And he was lifted up unto again. And so because he's gone to the lowest degree, there's no one who will be higher than him. You know, Sister Bailey had that vision that the Lord showed her of that ball, you know, the toy ball that we've all played with, maybe in a pool, and we take that ball and we plunge it under the water. And she saw a vision of that ball being plunged under the water, and God was plunging it, so it went down really deep. And it just kept going and going. And, you know, she, she was just sharing how at times it feels like God is just bringing us down. We're that little ball. And we're being plunged into the depths. It's like, Lord, is there a bottom here? It's the Mariana Trench being brought down. But then the Lord spoke to her because that ball went so down so deep, but as it was let go, it just shot up. And the Lord spoke to her and said, as far down as it go, so will it go high. And we look at this last slide here. Because Christ, even though he went down to the depths, he arose. And it says God highly exalted him. Like there were seven steps down and there's seven things that describe his, his ascension. God highly exalted him. Gave him a name above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth. And every tongue confess that he is Lord. So here is the pathway that Jesus took as he walked in life. And then we have the Apostle Paul saying, let this mind be in you. Let your focus be on being on following the pathway of Christ in our life. It may not be an easy path, but it's not an impossible path. It, well, it is if we lack that humility aspect, right? Because humility, the lack of humility, or the opposite is pride, and pride is, well, I'll do it my way. I'll do it myself. Thank you very much. Whereas humility is, Lord, I need you. Lord, would you be with, would you empower me? Help me, Lord. And as we have that mindset, we can walk on this impossible pathway because he strengthens us and he's already done it and he's already risen and he can cause us to ascend. Well, he can cause us to descend, right? <laughs> and then as we are faithful to follow him on that pathway, he causes us to ascend. I'm not sure when the ascension takes place. Probably, of course, fully it, it's when we pass over to the other side and we're with him there in eternity. When we've passed our probationary period, and we've passed that test and we're in, we're in the full program. But it's so vital that we follow him in that pathway because he's called us to be a glorious bride. And that bride takes on the name of the bridegroom. We're to be like him in that respect. We're not as glorious as him, but we're called to be like him. Walking on his pathway. And as we do so, our cry becomes, Oh, give me Jesus. I want to walk in your way. And Lord, we just thank you for Lord, the example. You didn't just put it in your word telling us the way to walk, but you went there before us and you were the greatest 
in, in that, Lord. You went down the deepest. You responded to your Father and you kept your eyes upon Him and you became, uh, you gave up of your glory and you went on this pathway of becoming the least. But then you rose up to be the greatest. And Lord, we, we acknowledge you're calling us to walk in that way. And Lord, we just confess that at times we're weak and we, Lord, don't have the ability to do that. So Lord, we just come, we cry out for that heart of humility. We cry out for your grace and your strength. Lord, give us that heart to walk on the pathway that you've called us to. Lord, show us how to walk and lead us in that. Show us how to be like you, Lord, because our desire is to be transformed in our minds and in our hearts, Lord, that we can ascend into that place of glory with you, that we can be a part of your glorious bride and take your name upon us. Lord, do that work with us. Lead us in this, in this place, in this pathway we ask that we could sit with you in glory and that our cry would be, give me Jesus. We just thank you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.